Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel. Good day. Good day to you. Oh, you practiced a new intro. Yeah. I like it. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. And today we've got some other, we've got some other people present with us. Now we have traveled the world without leaving uh, our studio here over the last couple of years and spoken to people from all over the place. Uh, But today we have some in-person guests. Yes. Who do we have, Liddy? We have Brian Heasley, who's traveled from the UK to be with us. Uh, Brian is the director, international director of 24-7 Prayer. And it's such a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. It's so good to be here, especially for the pastries. Yeah. Well, you know, we pulled out all the stops and really went and got some pretty, Mm. pretty excellent ones. Did you have a favorite? Lemon and almond. Yeah. Lemon curd and almond on a... Yeah. It was like an almond croissant with lemon curd in it. That's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Killer. Very special. It rocked my world. Good. good. That's what we want. That's our goal. <laughs> Who even says that? Yeah, no, I think it's good that you did though. Yeah. Yeah. It was a beautiful moment. And so we've also got Trudy Sayers here, who is the National Director of 24-7 Prayer in Australia and also Mark's wife. Woo. Yes. Welcome. What? Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, good to, to see be you here. again. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just don't ask me about the pastry because I'm having pastry pressure, hence why it's still sitting, oh, it's there, just sitting uneaten, there but I, I can perhaps help you later. With that. Okay, good. You're the one <laughs> guest which I can steal their food. <laughs> <laughs> now we did uh, we did have dinner in in the city and uh, we actually also had another kind of bread which was soda bread which also Ooh. tells oh, us yes. about a link you two oh, have you went to farmer's daughters yes yes, yes. Oh, so, so nice yeah amazing yeah, yeah we both recognized the bread and the the flavor of the bread why well we're both irish ah, is that an irish bread. thing yeah. yes really yes didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did you think it was an Australian thing? I just thought it was a bread thing. <laughs> <laughs> Neutral bread. <laughs> yeah. So even though I sound English, I, I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, like, is there any particular origin? Like what makes an Irish thing? It was originated in Ireland. Okay. The, <laughs> they just, like, yeah. they, the they end know. of the historical Tru- deep dive. Trudy knows. Although it's called soda bread, but the soda bread in Ireland actually looks different. So this one was more like a different type of bread, wasn't yeah. it? It was more like that sort of malted flavour. Yeah, it what wasn't, would you say, Brian? It's it was, called- wasn't authentic. No. Was it? Yeah. it was a bit like uh, if you were from Ireland, it was like a cross between soda bread and Vita bread, mm. which is kind of malted bread. Mm. Have you had Vita bread, Trudy? You've so, so just to kind of give context, so yes, I'm the Australian director and yes, I've got an Australian accent. So I was born here, but my mum and dad were both born in Northern Ireland. Mm. So technically Strong I'm Irish. Irish. Yes. Have you so, got an Irish passport? Not yet. I have to renew my British passport. Um, but I would like to get passports. an Irish. Yeah, I could technically probably get three, have three. Wow. So, I've got but two. Two. I've just got the one, everyone. <laughs> Me too. I was born in regional Victoria, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I've just got an Australian and uh, it's an offshore passport thing. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> about royalties, but that's for another podcast <laughs> and for a future edition of the Panama Papers. <laughs> <laughs> so getting uh, back to the bread. Yes, yeah, sorry. So, yep, go on. So I... I remember my dad talking about that bread as his favourite. I think I might have tried something like it, mm. but I don't know that you can get it 
in Melbourne, but apart from the, the farmer's, farmer's daughter's, daughter's version. Mm. It, but the real one is called a soda farl. Yes. Mm. And it's more like a kind of, you'd have it for uh, Irish bread, an Ulster fry. Yeah. Oh, Ulster yes. fry. So you'd fry, fried bread is the best thing. It's not particularly healthy. Oh, I love is, bread yeah. that's mm. fried. I'm going to just be <laughs> I just, I just super love bread. <laughs> controversial here. <laughs> And I, I realise we're not. This isn't a bread-based podcast, but no, it's a pastry-based podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's true. Um, uh, people are claiming. Well, people claim that Ireland is the origin of soda bread. It's actually argued that it's from uh, Native Americans. Uh-oh. What actually origin? <laughs> wow. This is Wikipedia. So it's actually first created by Native Americans. But do they fry it? <laughs> um, they were first. They were the first to be documented using pearl ash, a natural form of soda formed from the ashes of wood, to leaven their bread, bread without yeast. Uh, Fascinating wow. stuff. Oh, anyway, something there you go. I, I was about to go and deep dive and damper bread, Australian one, oh, but we won't because this could turn into a culinary culinary exploration. But That's just one of our side yeah, podcasts. Yeah, and we may be revealing Melbourne's idolatry with food, which <laughs> Brian is currently uh, experiencing. But well, we may uh, enter into some confession yeah. time later, which is part of kind of the focus of this mm. episode. Well, prayer, <laughs> prayer, Fresh anyway, prayer. Not, yes. not a confession <laughs> episode. We've got yeah. <laughs> Rebuild is the confessional episodes. Fifteen dollars a month. Well, welcome to all of the mayhem of having um, five of us with microphones in front mm. of us today, listeners. Yeah. Well, we, we thought it would just be really cool to, you know, uh, combine forces between Rebuilders and 24-7 Prayer yeah. because we feel that there's a moment happening. Mm. Um, we did last uh, – this is our third episode or something <laughs> we've done in, in a few days. And uh, so uh, uh, we did our episode uh, last week with um, about discipling the contemporary self. Um, mm-hmm. But then we did an emergency sort of uh, bonus episode with Pete Gregg who's been at the Asbury university outpouring and there just seems to be a moment a momentum Mm. and prayer is at the forefront and devotion and uh, we had planned this a little while ago but i think as we've thought about this and there's a sense that there's an urgency that we are seeing a moment where the world is secularizing that's creating a hunger for god to move and we just thought it'd be really interesting not just to hear from brian and trudy but what we actually have today is a number of different prayer leaders from around the world contributing And uh, so we're going to explore some questions. They've sent in some replies that we sent off, particularly around secularism and prayer, prayer renewal. When the world's in various crises, different nations are in crises, how do we respond in prayer? So uh, it's going to be a really good episode. It's a different episode. Mm, uh, Quite different. Yeah, yeah. We're, We're excited for what we have in store. Well, here on Rebuilders, we're, we're always talking about culture and how it intersects with faith, um, particularly in an increasingly secular context. And that varies around the world in uh, different nations, but it is the general trend, particularly of the Western um, world. So our first question that we've kind of put to leaders across the world is, uh, what opportunity do you see in a secular society for prayer? arguably at face value, there isn't one. But, um, yeah, some of the responses are really interesting. And when we think of secularism, the European urban context is one of the classic contexts we think about where people, the church is facing that challenge. 
And so we're going to hear first from Denise van der Swag, who is in Rotterdam, who is in a secular environment, but also sees opportunity. Uh, so the opportunity for prayer is that prayer gives us a space of peace and quiet, of connecting with God, with, well, people in a secular society who do not know God with, uh, I think they do pray, um, but they don't know to whom they're praying to. Uh, so what I find is that they often search in spiritual ways, in yoga, in uh, go to a spiritual fair, or uh, what I've heard more often now is the use of mind-expanding drugs. Um, and I think it shows that people are really open to uh, to the spiritual things and also to prayer. So when I offer people uh, prayer, I mostly get answered by yes. And they, when I pray with them on the spot, they feel valued and seen. Um, the thing is you don't push them, but I invite them and ask them if it's okay. And they're mostly excited to try it. And um, what I also see is that people don't see it as a possibility. So when I offer it, it's suddenly a possibility to pray. Um, yeah, so I think there's a big opportunity there in the secular society for prayer. The Republic of Ireland has undergone a rapid secularization from a deeply Catholic country to one which is reacting against this religious past. This makes Dublin one of the most secular cities in Europe. And this is where Lucy Hill finds herself, but also is finding a really interesting response to how people are seeing prayer and also sees opportunities in the challenge of secularism. Certainly in an Irish context, whatever has been discarded in terms of religion or in the sense of the institutional church, spirituality remains a strong value. People who are cynical or closed to so much remain open to prayer. I think this kind of ritual is still widely practiced, albeit not in the traditional forms. And in lockdown, we saw this that, you know, we had more people who don't consider themselves religious or affiliated to any church. More people attended the How to Pray course than any of the Alpha courses that we ran online. People want prayer as a resource for their lives. And I think prayer invites people into a set of practices rather than a set of rules. And they're already seeking these practices. There's meditation, mindfulness, breathing practices. We have all these practices in prayer centered on Jesus. These practices, I think, reawaken practitioners to a new or renewed sense of God. I think prayer is currently one of our greatest opportunities. In Ireland, we are in a reactionary mode in the wake of church scandals and abuses. And I think we can only live there for a limited time as other things fill that void and secularism is making its entrance, but it doesn't have the shelf life or the depth to satisfy the longings of the human, the human heart. And I think if as a church, we have prayer at the centre, where we are being formed and discipled in a life of prayer, this will be part of inviting people into encountering a better story than the one that is currently on offer. Lucy pointed out there that even in secular environments, people are searching for things which will bring them peace, perhaps change their physiology, their mental health. Dori Alice Avilan in Vancouver, a 
place on the west coast of Canada is, is a deeply secular environment, but also a secular environment where there's a lot of spiritual searching. And in this environment, Dory sees the potential that people may perhaps begin to pursue some of these practices, but also find through prayer their hearts changed by God. I think the biggest opportunity that the church has when it comes to prayer in a secular society is presenting prayer as the gift that it is and the gift that the world so needs and is so desperate for. And it's, uh, it's love, it's love and it's relationship and it's communion is what we were made to do. Prayer is being one with God. I mean, we, that's exactly what we were made to do. And, you know, we see uh, rises in practices like mindfulness and meditation with the whole purpose of self and inner finding and peace found in that and calm found in that. And we as Christians know where peace true peace comes from, where joy comes from. And so we have this huge opportunity to present to the world that prayer is, as St. John Vini describes it, I, the inner bath of love into which the soul plunges itself. I mean, that's my favorite definition of prayer. I'm just going to say it again. He said that prayer is the inner bath of love into which the soul plunges itself. So what we're learning on this journey is that just because we're entering into secular environments, what people call a secular age, this does not mean that the hunger for prayer, the hunger for more is disappearing. Just wondered, Brian, is this something that you're seeing? You, you travel and you speak to prayer leaders across the world. Does what we've just heard um, from the Republic of Ireland, from the Netherlands, from Canada, does this resonate with what you're also seeing in other places? I think so. It's it perhaps for me it's indicative of that that kind of sense that one of the greatest needs of the human heart is to be heard. Mm-hmm. And in a noisy, chaotic culture, people are still looking to be heard. And I think prayer taps into that. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably given away as the church our best stuff sometimes to the world in terms of like meditation mm. coming before God, you know all that yeah, stuff on mindfulness yeah, yeah. was really good for me mm. but but when when we actually think that you know it talks about meditation in genesis so it's been mm. around yeah. quite quite a long time yeah. and so we're kind of it it, it it it's sad that we haven't tapped into that more mm. in many ways one of the things that i've noticed is that most people don't want to be preached at but a lot of people are very happy for you to say do you mind if I pray for you mm. or with you? Now, some people get freaked right out and go, well, not right now. Some people yes. will say no, but actually a lot of people are very keen for, for prayer. You only have to look at like hashtag thoughts and prayers every time something dreadful yeah. happens. Yeah. Prayer is definitely on the vocabulary of mm. the world, but but where do they go? Where does Justin Bieber go to hashtag thoughts and prayers for the tsunami in Japan? Who mm. who? Where do we take that? Where does it go? Mm. Yeah. What about you, Trudy? What what stuck out for you in those reflections? I think a, a highlight um, comment that Lucy said was that prayer is the greatest opportunity mm. in the moment. So it's mm. got me thinking, um, what, yeah, what is the opportunity even in my context? But also what struck me is that we have three 
different nations, but there are similar themes um, mm. coming through. Um, and and ultimately, I think as as Dory says, a prayer is the longing of the human heart. Prayer is about mm. relationship. So I think it's really key that we as Christians understand and get to know what is prayer and and define it and um, and when we grow in our prayer lives that will show and yes. that and it really is about reconciling and um and helping people find their true home their longing in the father's love yeah so great One of the big themes of this podcast is that crisis precedes renewal. And one of the things we're seeing is a sense that the world is in some kind of crisis at the moment, but also individual nations are experiencing their own ways that's outplaying at a local level. And also, we thought we'd ask people, how does this play out at a local level? And what we found is that crisis is deeply linked to a hunger for prayer, both in the church mm. and in the society. And when we speak of crisis, perhaps very few places on earth have experienced crisis in the last few years in the way that Beirut, Lebanon has. From the 2020 Beirut blast at the port to COVID to a banking crisis to civil unrest, the Lebanese people have suffered incredibly. Christelle Hayek reflects on how at moments like this, prayer can come alive in a new way. When crisis hits, we are suddenly more aware of the brokenness of the world. We realize that there is no stability anywhere. People fail us, money and possessions lose their value, and the void we have been trying to fill with those things suddenly feels larger. We find ourselves turning to God. There is comfort in believing not only that there is someone holding this universe together, but who also deeply cares about us and we start to try to communicate with him. Another country which has found itself racked by crisis is the nation of Peru. After suffering one of the world's highest death rates from the COVID-19 pandemic, Peru now finds itself in the midst of civil unrest after the removal of the president, Pedro Castillo. Andy Taylor, in the midst of this, sees two kinds of responses from people. One which has a tremendous opening for prayer and for renewal. In general here, we're encountering a confused people. Cusco is a melting pot of, of Inca, pagan religion mixed with Roman Catholic tradition. There is a spiritual hunger, but this is often mixed with a, an oppressive, captive mindset. And the current political and social crisis in Peru that's led to deadly violence on the streets, the whole country being shut down, destruction of economy and livelihoods. The people here are hurting and suffering. There's a lack of hope in the government and the authorities, especially after Peru having the world's highest COVID death rate. And this is leading to a hunger, a hunger for hope in something else. 
And we're witnessing two responses to this in the population. We're witnessing some with a, a more of an anger and a frustration in what is happening, or we're witnessing others who are turning and trusting and depending on a God who offers more. It's a spiritual place with hunger that's not always directed to the kingdom. But when it is, we're seeing beautiful transformation. We find ourselves having to encourage people to know that even though this is happening, God is a God of love and is walking with you through this. And when this is begun to be known and, and understood, when a mindset of gratitude that no matter what the situation or circumstance, if that's adopted, then we see a deeper dependence on Jesus through the storms and people turning to prayer. Well, it's so fascinating to hear from people in in areas that, I mean, I can't relate to those experiences um, that they're in in Lebanon and uh, in Peru. What are your reflections on on what uh, Andy and Christelle were sharing, Trudy? Mm. I think the... A key word that both actually said was turning. They're seeing a turning. Um, mm. Christelle mentioned a turning to God mm. and he said turning to prayer, mm. essentially turning towards God. So um, I see in the crisis that there's this turning back and and people, and Christelle said there's this increased uh, gap between a void of what the things that people look to but turning back to God. So I think... That's key. Um, I find it interesting that um, we could even say that even in our own comfortable perhaps society in Australia, there's still a crisis of people not recognising perhaps their need for spirituality as well. So it's mm. a different type of crisis. Yes. Um, so I think prayer has an answer of turning back. And perhaps they don't recognise it, but there is still a high amount of anxiety. More and more people are realising they're anxious and not at peace. So that in itself is is a crisis yes. mm. of mental health we're seeing. Um, yeah. So I think prayer has an opportunity to um, provide that peace and encounter relationship once mm. again. Mm. And we saw that in uh, we had our last interview with Pete Gregg and yes. he's been reporting <laughs> from the Asbury that. Uh, uh, outpouring and he mentioned how a lot of it is there, a response to that, you know, a secular environment, a college campus and, yeah, through prayer and devotion and worship, people are feeling a sense of, of peace and in response to an age of anxiety, in a response to a time of digital overload, it's very analog is the word Pete used. So it's interesting, you know, he, he, you're saying that and we're seeing this happening mm. in, in real time. Mm. And Brian, I wonder um, what what we in, I guess, the um, in many countries that aren't sort of facing uh war or social upheaval in to the same extent as Lebanon or um, or Peru as the examples that we have here what can we learn from you know uh, these these contexts people mm -hmm. who pray in these contexts mm -hmm. what what can we learn and take away from that in the last six months I've had the opportunity to both go to Peru and to Lebanon yeah wow and I found both situations incredibly hopeful mm. Mm. and I think that the world lacks hope mm. uh, but it almost would seem that as it gets darker the 
we as Christians become purveyors of hope. Mm. And to see Andy walking the streets of Cusco praying with heroin addicts who have mm. got nowhere else to go mm. and watch him overflow with hope. Mm. Or to see, you know, Christelle walking through the streets that are abandoned because the, mm. the, the army won't let people down there anymore mm. and see her prayer walking full mm. of hope mm. is an amazing thing. So I think what we can learn in our is is that shift of perspective that is needed. Yeah. I'm off, when I'm in these situations, you're just humbled how mm. happy and hopeful these people mm. are. Wow. Not mm. a kind of patronizing, oh, look, isn't it lovely, their little simple lies. Mm. But, but, you know, that sense of like they're just full of something else. Because I think mm. when, they're confront, when, when we are confronted by mm. darkness in possibly mm. an even greater measure, mm. we have to dig deeper into God. We have, our perspective has to shift. Yes, we have to yes. move closer mm. into him. And I think possibly the, the kingdom of comfort that many of us dwell in mm. doesn't kind of push us towards, I really need you right now, yes, God. Yes. Because actually, if I'm feeling bad, I could just eat some donuts and have a few mm. beers and like yeah. get, the sugar high will make me mm. feel better. Or I could watch something on Netflix and I can anesthetize myself to the, the darkness. Mm. Where in those places, when someone was, was in Christelle's situation, mm. is running up and down the street with a rocket launcher, mm. a yeah. donut's not going to scratch it for no. you. No. I mean, <laughs> we right. love the pastries, yeah. but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not, it's not going to work. And the yeah. only person that's going to work really within that is Christ and, yes. and the hope that he brings. Andy and Helen couldn't go to the, the airport because people have been killed at the airport and they're meant to pick some people up well when that sort of stuff's happening you know mm. 10 minutes drive from where you live yeah you mm. think your 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 prayer life changes but mm. in, a, in a really deep and meaningful way now i'm yeah. not saying we need to be plunged into those levels of crisis mm. but there is something that i notice around the world that when the darkness gets darker the light does genuinely seem to get lighter yeah. and hope grows yeah so i'd love to see how that outworked mm. in our slightly mm. more comfortable context yes. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. that's a good challenge This podcast is called Rebuilders for a Reason. It's a real call to rebuild in the midst of often what it feels like the world, secular culture has pulled down. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to get to hear from some of our guests of how they're building, not perhaps something in stone or wood, but actually how they're building a culture of prayer, where they are in their churches, neighborhoods, families, in their lives. Often prayer is thought of something very personal, very interior, done in cupboards and closed rooms. But building a culture of prayer often will also connect us to the wider culture, as Denise in the Netherlands found. Uh, the funny thing is, in my student years, we often prayed for our neighborhood where a lot of uh, drugs shops, like where drugs were sold and a sex shop was around the corner and everything. And we prayed for life and for color in the streets and then at some point the 
um, municipalities, they knocked on our front door explaining that they wanted to change our little street into a park uh, to bring more life. And that's a direct answer to our prayers. But they invited us to also go out and literally paint the tiles in color. Um, so that's a little anecdote of our prayers for our neighborhood and how God actually uh, pushed the municipalities to see our neighborhood and see the streets um, and to invite us in into bringing more color into the streets. For Lucy in Dublin, building a culture of prayer is also connected to building a community of prayer. Increasingly, we are building corporate rhythms of prayer. We weave it into the life of our community. We prioritize it and we plan our calendar. And we do this by practicing together different expressions and different rhythms. We practice silence together. We practice lament together as well as intercession and thanksgiving. We use liturgy and written prayers as well as praying what's on our hearts. But when we gather, we pray. It sits squarely at the centre of our life and our times together as a community, not at the periphery, not at assigned separate times. I think if we are a people who value prayer, when we gather, we will do it together. And because of this, when we are together, we wrestle with unanswered prayer, sometimes uncomfortably so. And we also get to celebrate the joy of answered prayer together because we've stood together in it. The picture of watching and waiting is something we are learning to do together. And I think in order to sustain a life of prayer, we have to find more ways to do it together as a community of God's people, I think that becomes the fuel for our times on our own. It's a reminder that we carry hope together so that even when I pray alone, I am praying with and for a community of God's people. For Andy in Peru, building a culture of prayer is linked to also understanding the context that you're in, making sure that we don't just bring our own cultural assumptions and agendas but when we listen to a culture, it actually teaches us to listen to God in new ways with those among whom we're ministering to. So we're not here to impose our way of doing things or, or the Western way on this culture. However, we are here to, to seek God's leading and to help people discover a freedom in Christ that might be missing from their journeys. It's quite often we're witnessing a culture of the pastor prays for me. So we're helping encourage others to pray. We're helping to equip leaders to explore creative ways to encounter God's presence. And we're witnessing some wonderful responses. Responses and hunger to a simple way of prayer and creativity that, that maybe this culture is not accustomed to. It's through things like a 24-7 prayer room or prayer walk in the streets of their church or something like the Lectio 365 app in Spanish. It's it's been great to see the, the vision of equipping, equipping local people that we have to lead and to take ownership of prayer. That's already come into fruition after having one year based here in Cusco. And as Lucy will share with us, when we listen to God and we listen to others, we may actually discover something. And I think prayer is a tool for us to begin to shift our way of seeing Dr. Sarah Williams says listening is the beginning of language and in the current crisis I think we need a new language for what we are facing as the church when we don't currently have the words for. 
And in this crisis, our hunger is to learn how to speak what God is saying and prayer invites us to listen. It's where we get to raise our voices and lament, but we find the heart language in the place of prayer. God will speak to his church and give us language that we do not currently have. I wonder, will it perhaps this next renewal, will it not look as loud or outrageous as previous ones because it will lead us towards humility and surrender and possibly even at times silence? Some really encouraging thoughts there. Uh, what stood out for you guys? Maybe you kick us off there, Brian. I think for me, one of the things that really struck me was that I think it was a bookner who said, go where your best prayers take you. <laughs> and I think probably when we're thinking about how do we build a culture of prayer, that, that whole idea of listening and mm. listening to culture and then going where our prayers for culture are taking us is quite a, uh, a fascinating observation. I think yeah. so often we come with, and Andy kind of articulated it well, but we come with our, our preconceptions of what we should be doing, but prayer prayer almost asks the question and allows us the exploration for culture and yes. how we build culture in the area. I think probably specifically for me, I'm thinking missionally, mm. yeah. you know, that how does prayer work in that? And, and I think it helps us develop divine strategies mm. and stop from falling into kind of like the franchise model of church yes. growth. Yeah. We, it, it stops us from going down a lazy track and it mm. may, takes us into more of a dependent place of mm. both listening to God, I think as Lucy implied, but also yes. listening to culture as Andy implied. And then yes. when you look at Denise, her, that idea of stepping out into culture and bringing the God colors, I can just, it's, yes. it's very encouraging for me, mm. but I, yeah. I think it shows that prayer in the context culturally within a church is is as important to the mission of the church mm. as to the devotional life of the church. Yes. Yeah, that's really good, Brian. Mm. about you, Trudy? I think Lucy really highlighted the importance of praying with others and, and building a culture of prayer is about praying in community and praying corporately. Mm. I think so there's the two elements of prayer. It's about cultivating our own individual relationship with God, but it's really important to understand how we pray with others hmm. um, and just that concept that we really grow in our prayer lives when we, we when we do pray with others. So how hmm. do we equip others and, and Andy mentioned as well, equipping um, hmm. others to pray. Hmm. Yeah. In many ways when we're building a culture of prayer, we also have an eye on, you know, what could be the next thing that God is doing? What's the next renewal? I just fascinated in your thoughts, Brian, on what, what Lucy elucidated there. Uh, about what could be next. Lucy elucidated. I know, that was yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I mean, we yesterday had the opportunity to chat with Pete Gregg, who had just mm. popped along to the Asbury uh, renewal, revival mm. that's happening in the US right now. And one of the things that he commented on was the gentleness, mm. the peaceful nature in which God seems to be breaking out the, the low tech, lo fi. Mm. Uh, his words were like, keep it real. It was very mm. real. And to see Lucy implying that kind of sense of that the next great renewal would perhaps be one of what? Humility, yes. mm. surrender, mm. silence. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting thought that yeah. seems to be breaking out. We're in a, mm. We've lived in a noisy world for a long time, mm. but this seems to be something that God wants to be doing in this generation. Mm. And I felt mm. Lucy perhaps was speaking prophetically into mm. that. She didn't know what was going to happen the week after no. she submitted this. So yeah. I find that really fascinating. Yeah, mm. and really encouraging and exciting. 
And in many ways, uh, we're sort of going to leave perhaps the last word in our responses uh, to Dory in, in Canada. And I think there's, there's a heart to when we think about the next thing to also think about the next generation. And I think Dory's got something really important to, to say. I'll let her share uh, just this last year, as I was praying for our nation, I had this vision of a table and underneath the table were the words prayer and youth. And I had a vision of Jesus walking by the table and flipping the table. And I, I just sense that the Lord was saying, pay attention to the youth of the nation. The youth are the underground prayer movement. Now, I know what Dory is saying there is also something that's resonated with you, Trudy. And I'd just love to you know, hear your thoughts on the next generation, youth and prayer. Absolutely. God's put on my heart that there needs to be a new move of, of prayer amongst young people, youth and young adults. And because what, what I'm seeing is I, I meet more um uh, people in churches and intercessors um, around the uh, around Australia. In my context, um, there's a lot of faithful older um, intercessors for the older generation, but and they're turning up to these prayer events. But I'm seeing less young people mm. come. So I'm really just praying that God will do something new, um, drawing them back to the heart of prayer. Mm. And Brian, twenty four seven began in some ways as a youth movement. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, but twenty five years ago, when my hair wasn't this color, well, this, this, this proves that uh, you know we don't stay youth. Yeah, um, but yeah, just interested in 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 twenty four seven world. You know, I think there's starting to see you know some hints of what the next thing could be. Yeah, we always began with this sense of turning the tide in youth culture. Mm. We used to bandy that around mm -hmm. about twenty twenty five years ago, and mm. obviously we tried our best but we're looking now at a new generation that mm. the church is getting older and mm. smaller mm. and if we do not see a new generation rise up and take its place we're going to mm. be in a bit of a, a bit of a pickle yes yes <laughs> do you say yeah. in a pickle yeah, yeah you can say yeah. In a pickle. Yeah. Yeah. and that sense i think we've got to look for something new i, I i'm always struck by when david went out to fight goliath mm. and saul says put my armor on, mm. do it my way. Mm. Yeah. And David goes, I can't go like this. Mm. And he takes off the armor and he goes out and he defeats the giant in his mm. own way. Mm. And I, people used to say that to us when we were young, but I think mm. we've got to be careful we don't put our armor on a younger generation. Yes. And we want yeah. to see a move mm. happen amongst young people that is different mm. to maybe what has happened in the past, not just for the mm. sake of difference, mm. but I think mm. there's definitely a desire to see something happening. And I just wonder whether we might just be seeing the beginning yes. of it yes. right yes. now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah totally. And, and I think, I yes. think it's, Absolutely. I think for people listening um, mm. and maybe even dare I say, dare I go there, uh, we know we've got lots of millennial pastors who are now not, you know, not as not as young as they once were, and it could be a Gen Z, a Gen Z even in your congregation. Uh, mm. And passing on the baton doesn't just happen when you're fifty or sixty; it can sometimes happen when you're thirty-three uh, to those beneath you. And uh, yeah, so I just just I think part of that is keeping our eyes open for what God is doing in the next generation. Uh, and seeing, I think there's an awakening, a heart of prayer that we're seeing in, in younger people as well. So I did, that's my little, little, little word to our youthful audience. Don't you? Still youthful. Uh, <laughs> many of you are in that age bracket. Um, 
I, th- I think, you know, as, as we wrap up, it's been fantastic to go on this, this global tour. And mm. I think what I always get encouraged by, and I think the privilege of what we've done with Rebuild is speaking to so many different people around the world and hearing back from people is there's themes and there's mm. things God does in the world. And I just love to, yeah, I guess hear your, and also just to add, sorry, we also, and it feels like a bit of a moment at the moment, a yeah. bit of a turning. Um, you know, we were almost just hoping and articulating for a long time in this podcast what that could look like and yeah. just starting to see perhaps the buds, you know, um, after a long winter. Um, so, yeah, just I guess final thoughts around prayer. What would you pass on to the Rebuilders audience? Um, what's your hearts for the moment? My my heart would that prayer didn't become just purely a self-help tool. Yeah. Mm. That it wasn't just something that helped me develop my own inner rhythms and spirituality, which mm. I believe are important. In fact, I've written mm. a book on it. Shameless mm. plug. Mm. Oh, Be yeah. still. Be still. Thank Check you. Check it out. That was, quiet times. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. But, you know, my worry would be that that was all that we thought prayer was for, mm. helping mm. me have a better life, you know, mm. and helping me be more centered and less anxious, all of which mm. are incredibly important. Mm. But I, I think even what we've been seeing here today, that when, when we position prayer both as an internal guide and aid to our spirituality is also something that should be affecting the external outworking mm. of our faith mm. and and we often in the context of 24 7 prayer talk about breathing in and breathing out yes. and i think unless we do both we're dead mm. and it'd be similar for the church if we don't breathe in breathe mm. in his presence breathe in his joy breathe in his love spend time with him but if we don't then breathe that out into a needy and desperate world mm. We die. Yes, yes. Mm. And so I'm kind of like, for me, I would love to encourage people to build a rhythm that was one mm. of both breathing in and breathing out. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, that's really key. So good, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say something which I think is quite similar in that I think what God's actually stirring in my heart and I can speak and I'm hearing it in others as well is actually mm. when I come to the place of prayer, Am I there for my own personal needs as well and to hear from God um, or am I there actually to come back to just love God? Mm. Yeah. And so and that's actually a new perspective of it's not just about me. Mm. <laughs> it's about loving God first. So coming back, my heart would be that we come back to a, a genuine devotion and then I think the rest will flow. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, when we truly understand what it means to have communion with God, mm. I'm excited <laughs> wow. what that will mean. Yeah, mm. That's good. I don't think I want to add to that. Mm. Um, I would just like to say a huge thank you to you mm. both for mm. um, coming and being part of Rebuilders today. Um, also extending a big thanks to uh, Denise, Doriellis, uh, who else do we have? Christelle, Andy, and Lucy um, from all of your respective locations around the world. Mm. Thank you so much um, for sharing your thoughts and reflections with us and your encouragement. Um, yeah, let's be a praying church. Mm. Let's be people who march on our knees, as it were. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen.